impacted by the culture and the world around them. You know, just because you get saved and God changes your heart and you're able to receive and believe in Jesus Christ and you start walking with him and he's, he's sanctifying, he's, he's cleansing you, he's making you pure, he's uh, changing your, our hearts. Look, even though all that takes place, it doesn't mean that we are completely free from all of the residue and the brokenness of the world that has influenced us and impacted us. And so Paul is addressing a people that still buys into a number of the ideas going or in the midst of their culture. And we can see that with the way that he addresses them. In fact, as we read the text, we see that he's highlighting particular things related to them. There's all kinds of other sins going things happening to them that can certainly be taking place among us. Now, he's going to address a matter in which he needs to say to them, you're going to need to kick this brother out of the church for his sake and for your sake. Let me give you just a little life example of what that looks like, but also just say this, that, that this particular issue is very difficult within the, our own culture. I would go on to guess and think that your Christian experience in the churches that you were, got saved in and were discipled in, perhaps some of you never saw a single person kicked out of your church. Perhaps. Or if they were, it was very minimal. And you know what? It should be minimal. But I will just say this. Some of you are smiling, smiling, depending on the tradition you come from. There was like, that was like a part, discipline was a regular part of the church life. And that's, that's good. That's amazing. That is not the way it goes, um, typically, in the context that I've grown up in. And I would get, be safe to guess within our own country. I'd be glad to be wrong on that, but it's very difficult for our culture to do that, to discipline. Case in point. Look, here, here when I was growing up as a kid... I, um, I've noticed a rather shift in um, discipline in the home and discipline in schools. Like, this is not a secret, like, and how that takes place. Right? I remember being in sixth grade, and my teacher, I'll say his name, is a, Mr. Trolla, he was, he was a really good teacher. I remember he had, a, he had a student, surprisingly, that was very rough. It wasn't me. We'll call him Michael Scott, because Michael Scott from the office, if you don't get the reference, is a name that we could all use. He's not referring to anyone in here. Michael Scott. We'll just call him that. Michael Scott, when he would come in, into the classroom every single day from PE, the first thing he'd do is he would come walking in and he would shift his feet on the mat and totally like spin it out of the control. So then Mr. Trolla would come walking up graciously and move it back. But Michael Scott would do that every single day. He would take it, shift his feet, and make the thing spin out of control. And he'd maybe make a comment, like a, a soft correction, for weeks and weeks. And then, eventually, he was giving more warnings, and the student would continue to be disruptive. Eventually, Mr. Trolla would, tell, would expel him from the room. But it took weeks and weeks and weeks to do that. Now, I don't know all the rules, in, you know, in the classroom. I don't know, like, all the state guidelines. I can tell you this. When I was a kid, um, a little different, they were, they were, I think they, in, they would do... Call, you, they, they would punish students. Like, you literally could, like, hit a student, you know. They don't do that anymore, by the way, in California. But back then, they could, but you could see a loosening of that. 
And I saw a very clear example of discipline take place where someone was actually expelled from the classroom. And if it were to escalate, then the student would be expelled further, possibly from the school. Poor Michael Scott. But here, Paul is speaking to a church where they are facing a sin so grievous that they are unwilling to deal with it. Instead, what Paul says, that they are proud and arrogant. What in the world is behind this pride and arrogance that they are unwilling to deal with this person? Let's just read the word of God. I want you to get a flavor, a sense of what's going on. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in its entirety. Listen to the scriptures. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with these sexual, sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There comes a point when the people of God have to expel, expunge, excommunicate um, an unrepentant brother or sister. Now look, we know that there are, uh, are judges in place within our society and they are, to, they are to judge matters justly, right? And Paul is pointing out that, that we as the people of God, really it's not our business. Now, he doesn't mean that we can't ever participate in that. I mean, if you're called to jury duty, then you should participate in You're a member of the society in which we live in, and you can part participate accordingly. 
what he's talking about is those outside the church. We, we don't merely come to them in their sin and say, man, we're going to kick you out of the church. He says, no, you need to deal with that pe- person who is within the church. You know, look, with all the things going on, there is no better way than to help the wor- world understand that it is possible for a society, a city, if you will, to be better. You know, the world tries, it tries its best to be a good society. The people of God are to model what a good society looks like because they are, we are the people of God. It is a place where people should be able to look at it and see Jesus. They will know us by our love. They should be able to look at the people of God and see multi-ethnic, multi-age, and living in love. There's no racism. There's no partiality. By the way, read, read the book of James. If you, if, you want, if you have a problem with being partial to other people, James says no. If you have a problem with being partial to someone else, just, just, read, just read Galatians. You know, you can see all kinds of, of ethnic and racial tensions throughout the Bible, can't you? Could you imagine when Jesus said, hey, we're going to go over there to Samaria. Could you imagine the disciples? I don't know if we totally could. They didn't like that. Going among, among a people they didn't like to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We are the people of God. The way that we're going to deal with a lot, we have to deal with our own business as the people of God. And, and what you need to know today is that there comes a time that when we, as the people of God, have to deal with the sin that is in the church. Now, I'm not preaching this message because, man, there's someone that we're, we're about to kick out. We, we've just been going through Corinthians, all right? You know, I, I, I hate, um, to be quite honest, I shouldn't say hate. I hate having to deal with this type of thing. Uh, you know, discipline is not fun. You know, hard conversations are not fun. Um, disciplining another brother or sister is not fun. And you know what? If you're here today and for you that just sounds fun to you, you need to repent. Because discipline is not merely punitive. It has restoration in mind. Now, now look, so here, here's what we need to know. Now, now look, the world can, should be able to look at the people of God and see a people that is just very diverse, loving each other. Man, we are not perfect. We are not perfect. I mean, if we, just, if we weren't careful, we'd just kick everyone out of the church. I mean, let's just, I mean, what were you thinking last night? What'd you do this week? What, what, what sin entered your heart before you even walked in this room? What's going on in your head right now? I mean, like, like just kick everyone out, right? Like, we can't do that. We won't have a church anymore. But there comes a point when this matter needs to be dealt with. So here, here's what we need to know. Number one, we need to be a holy people. We need, you and I need to be and live a holy life. Not merely because we have Christ, that's a big deal that we have Christ, but also with the way we live out our Christian faith, it needs to be holy. Certainly, you can see that from what Paul is saying here in the very beginning, then I'm going to point out another passage in the book. 
it is actually reported. Look at, look at Paul's shock. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, the kind where he, he, Paul says he has his, his, uh, his father's wife. Now, now, there's a lot of details we don't know. You know, maybe his father was, uh, um, uh, you know, was a widower. And, you know, it's, it's highly likely this woman was not related to this person. But when you read the law of God, it actually makes clear you're not to do that. You know, you're, you're not to marry, you're not to take this person because you uncover your father's nakedness. That that's comes right out of Leviticus. It is unlawful to do that. The Bible tells us not to do that. And so the, they have some underlying issue where they're prideful and arrogant, but they're, they're, so there's a sexual immorality being tolerated among them that even the pagan Gentile world around them wouldn't do. You know, it's embarrassing when there's something that the world is getting a grasp on and the church is slow to get a grasp on. Like that. That's an embarrassing one. Now, granted, this particular culture was a very loose, wicked culture. Sexual immorality was rampant. Um, temple prostitution, all kinds of wicked things. But he's, he's calling them out. <laughs> there, there is great shame in what they're doing. And he says specifically what it is, and it gives us a clue into what's going on that the whole church is aware of it. This isn't some, like, isolated thing where just the household knows about it and the church is going to try to deal with it with its people. The entire church knows about it and is giving approval of it in some way. This is why he says, and you are arrogant to all of them. What is this arrogance going on? Now, before we answer that, I want us to just heed the call to be holy. Not only do we, we see Paul calling these people to be holy here, but in the very first chapter, he's calling them to be holy, isn't he? Listen to what it says. In chapter 1, starting in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those, listen carefully, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be what? Saints together with all of those who in every place, every place, a call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification. God, when he saves us, he certainly puts us in a right standing with him, justification. And our sanctification is his ongoing work of making us pure, living a holy life. He's calling them to do that. We need to know, and, and, and as it relates to this whole issue of dealing with a, a, an unrepentant, sinful brother or sister and kicking them out, we need to know, first and foremost, that we as the people of God need to be holy. Number two, arrogance and pride will keep you from mourning sin. Do you know why we don't mourn sin? Do you know why we don't? Because of pride. It's because of pride. He says, you are arrogant to them. He says, ought you not rather to mourn? Now notice the whole issue is these, these people are not mourning. They're not lamenting the, what is going on. They're prideful about it. 
Now, you might ask yourself, where was this coming from? Look, just understand very briefly that this sort of idea um, was happening among them. You can see it come out in the other letters from Paul, right? Remember when Paul said in Romans, shall we sin that grace may abound? Who was he opposing? Some crazy idea that had crept into the church. Hey, it, people were saying, look, if we just sin, grace, like, like, let's, let's live worse and grace will abound even more. You know, it's not strange. Doesn't it exist today when we say, you know, God will forgive me. It doesn't sound like may grace may, well, grace will abound. It's, no, God will forgive me if I meet my wife and marry someone else. God will forgive me. You know, God, God will forgive me if I just really beat the daylights out of my kid. God will forgive me. God will forgive me if I, if I make, you know, these inappropriate partial comments about someone else. God will forgive me. God will forgive me if I just look at whatever I want. Pride and arrogance keep us from lamenting and mourning sin. He says, you should be lamenting, but you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Here comes the hard thing. Removing this individual. Now we do, we're going to go through the text, but we do need to ask that question. Like, like, man, why is he being removed? Well, he's unrepentant. Like he needs to forsake this sin. But he's not. It's ongoing. And the whole church is embracing it. Listen to what it goes on to say. For though absent in body, verse 3, I am present in spirit. And it's interesting that Paul is saying this. Now, we know from reading the rest of the book and early, the earlier passages of this letter to the Corinthian church that they were arrogant toward Paul. They, were not, they did not recognize his apostolic authority. And so he tells them earlier, like, some of you don't think I'm coming, but I am coming. And then he's not present with them. We know that, but he's saying, what, he, what Paul is saying is that he has apostolic authority to do, do, to do this, and he's going to pass a judgment on the matter. Now, there are other questions that come to light, you know, like, man, like, just what was going on? Where, where, where are the elders and all this other discussion? For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now, I want you to look at how he deals with this as the church. There comes a point when brother goes to brother and sin's not repented of. And you go and you bring another. Matthew 18, right? You bring another. It's still going. And maybe and it, and it go, comes to the eldership and it tries to just resolve, uh, pronounce a, a judgment on the matter. There's qu all kinds of other issues at hand. Questions of who knows what and who doesn't. In this particular case, you need to know the whole church is aware of it and they're proud about it. You know, because I've seen discipline take place in a church where people say, well, how come we didn't have all the details? It would not be appropriate. It might be better for you not to know. You could, you could still speak about things in a general way, and, and in this particular case, they knew. 
every one of them, and were arrogant about it. And Paul was dealing with them. The issue is they needed to deal with it, and they weren't. So when you are assembled, look at this in verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. I want you to understand that when there comes a point when the church has to kick out an unrepentant brother or sister, that the Lord himself is with us in a very powerful way. It's not merely pronouncing and sending them away. If they are under, they, Jesus is with us, and it must be done. L- let me talk about it on a household level. I mean, would you not discipline your child? Now, I will tell you this. We live in an age where it's incredibly difficult. People have a hard time disciplining their children. Corrective discipline. And I'm not even getting on the discussion of what, what, it, what it looks like, the nuances of what it looks like, but just instruction and then corrective, actually being consistent and carrying out some form of corrective discipline for their sake and for the sake of everyone else around. But for their soul's sake, can we notice that this, this issue of discipline is actually not just for the church, but it's actually for the sake of this man's soul? Did you know that? We live in an age where it's really hard to correct to discipline. But it's for the sake of this man's soul that he be disciplined. So, so, he, so, this is, so Jesus is with them. In verse 5. You are to deliver this man to, man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit, look at, may be saved in the day of the Lord. You know, this is an interesting idea. They're pronouncing, ascending him away. They're not going to fellowship with him. They are handing him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now look, there's a couple nuances here that we can get into. One is that when, when you read the other epistles, you will see that we're to crucify the flesh, right? We're to kill it. What, what, what that means is that we're to, we're to kill the sinful flesh, the things, desires, and all those things. But I would also argue that he's also um, talking about a physical harm because he's being thrown out to the world away from God's protection among God's people. So that he will experience the, the pain of that in some way. Whatever that's going to look like. If you struggle that, with that, just read the book of Job. And the physical harm that came upon Job. At the hand of Satan. And so, this person is being handed over for the destruction of his flesh. So that he might be saved in the end. We live in a world where some people actually, they kind of like excommunicate themselves. They sort of like leave and they go to a different church. It's a very difficult setting. It's very strange. Someone's, so, you know, at our church, like y- if you're under discipline, you're really, you're not allowed to escape. Now we're, we can't like go get you. But we would have no problem telling another pastor in another church. And um, if someone came to our church that was under discipline, they wanted to be a, they wanted to be a member, they wanted to be a member, and they were un- we found out that they were uh, uh, under discipline, we would, we would urge them that they need to go back to the church and, just, and deal with that. And we would trust in God's sovereign hand over them in that, and we would, we, would en- we would encourage them to do that. 
we challenge them strongly to go do that. I'm telling you how we would deal with it because it's not an easy matter to deal with. We live in an age where people just will, like, they'll just leave your denomination and go somewhere else. Someone is, like, believing some heretical view, well, they'll just go find a church that believes in that heretical view. Which is terrible. It's not good for their soul. And the point of this is not merely punitive, it actually is to restore them and in hopes that they would get saved in the end. But not everyone wants to repent. But the point is that we need to know and we need to believe and we need to trust God with this. It's something that, like, um, that we may not want to do, but it's something that we would have to do. It's something that the people of God should do. There should be discipline where necessary. A caution. Don't be like the sin, sin hunter, the sin head hunter, whatever. Like, that's not good either. This is actually a gracious, loving act. Now he goes on in verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be new, a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been has been sacrificed. You know, when the people of God would, um, would go through that celebration of the, the Passover, it was forbidden to have leavened bread during that time, during that season, while they were doing it. And the point of it is, me not being a baker, is that leaven actually infects the whole lump of it, right? Let me give you an example. When I was very young, I was in another country, and I had this little bitty, bitty piece of lettuce in a taco. Tiny. And somehow water had touched that little, little, little piece of lettuce. And it did something to my bowels for the next several days that was very unpleasant. Just a little bitty piece of lettuce. That big. I was drinking bottled water. I was doing everything I'm supposed to do. But somehow it had gotten washed in the kitchen that I was in. And that one little thing impacted my entire body to be sick for days and days and days. What Paul is saying is that this one sin is impacting the entire church. We need to be a holy people. If we're arrogant and proud, it's going to be really hard for us to lament and mourn sin. If you have a hard time lamenting and mourning sin, check your heart. Check your heart, brothers and sisters. It's a heart issue. But check this out. Not only, Paul is calling them to do this thing, this very hard thing, for their sake and also for the sake of this man. But listen to what he says about the people of God. He says, look, you are not leavened. You are unleavened. In other words, what he's saying is that you are God's and you are acceptable to God. And our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And it's not merely lamb, it's Jesus himself. Now, he takes this to go on to say this. Let us, therefore, in verse 8, celebrate the festival not with the old leaven. What's the old leaven? The old leaven is malice and evil. Hey, look, we can look around the world around us with all of the malice and evil taking place. You can see it very clear, can't you? By the way, we once were full of malice and evil, weren't we? And sometimes we, we, uh, we slip into those things in our hearts probably physically, but he goes on to say, look, 
let's, th- it's different now, like, but with the unleavened bread, of since instead of being that old way, let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now look, he's going to go on to clarify something that there's a big question that people ask. There was a letter that we don't have that went, that went back and forth with Paul and these people. And in God's sovereignty, he has given us what we need. But whatever they had, we don't get to see that letter. It, it wasn't scripture. In verse 9, he says this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And they're asking, does that mean like all sexually immoral people? And he's going to bring clarity to this. He says, no, you need to actually spend time with people that don't know Jesus. And if you don't do that, you would have to be taken out of the world. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Do you see that? He's saying you should spend time with non-Christians. You can, you can spend time and eat, proclaim the gospel. Of course they live this way. Of course they're lost. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears, notice this, this is the important piece, who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, a swindler. And then he goes on to clarify it even more. Notice what he says next, not even to eat with such a one. There's different levels. You can assume here Paul's talking about there's different, different levels of of discipline someone might be under. And, and when it comes to someone that should be kicked out, he's saying remove fellowship with them. They should feel the sting of not being under the care of God and among his people so that he would be saved, so that he or she would repent of sin and long for being together. There's something more to our gathering than just merely gathering, isn't there? When we gather in the name of Jesus, Jesus himself is with us. We know also from reading earlier that they are the very temple of God, the meeting place of God. So he tells them, look, you can associate with those that are outside the church. In fact, are we going to have people that come here that are exploring Christianity, that are living in all kinds of sin, they don't know what to think about what, they're not saved yet, They're, they're wrestling through it? We want them to hear the gospel. But those of us that know Jesus, we're calling ourselves brother. We need to be seeking holiness. And there comes a time when someone is so unrepentant that we have to discipline them. And Paul tells us to do so. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Therefore, purge the evil person from among you. You know what? The world has all this stuff going on and it's trying to figure it out. It's very complicated and it's hard. It it is. It's very complicated. It's very difficult. And you know what? Um, We need to pray. We need to cry out, God help us. We need to pray, Lord, forgive. Forgive us. We need to pray, Lord, may people know your son Jesus. We, We can't solve this without your help, God, it's, right? But, but I'll, I'll just say this. Look, the world doesn't know how to do it. We need to, we need to do all that God commands. You know how, how we are to deal with someone who's unrepentant in the local body of Christ? We need to correct them. 
And if they're refusing, refusing, then eventually we need to purge the evil brother from among us for our sake and for their sake and for our obedience to the Lord. And the hope and prayer that they would come back. So number one, holy Watch out for arrogance. It will not allow you to mourn. Number three, remember that you and I are unleavened. And we have Christ Jesus who has paid for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we plead for your help. Lord, I pray for opportunity among our people to proclaim the good news of the gospel to neighbor, to friend. Lord, use this opportunity for what you is pleasing, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen our church, strengthen the brethren. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to continue in worship with our, our tithes and offerings, and you can do so right online, or you can do it, you can give it in the box back there. But also, you're going to have attendants come by, and they're going to, um, they'll have communion with them. They'll have them communion cups. I can't even say it. Communion items. Let's just call that. It's confusing. We're not doing it the same way right now. Can someone from your group please tell the attendant how many that you will need? And also, what we want you to do is just, um, look, we're, we're doing things differently. In the past, we, we come forward, we, we do intinction, it's up here, but we're, we're handing them to you. Would you please hold the elements, and then after this, um, there's a little bit of music, after everyone has the elements, we're going to take the elements together, all right? So as they come forward, please, please let the attendant know how many you need. Church of God, be saved. 
slave to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransom church of God be saved to sin no silent in the grave then in a nobler sweeter song I will sing thy power to save I will sing thy power to save I will sing thy power to save then in a nobler, sweeter song, I will sing thy power to save. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Christ did for us. The scriptures proclaim and remind us to do this. Until he comes, we give thanks for Christ Jesus, his death on the cross, because of our sin. We are a poor and needy people, bruised and broken by the fall. We need Jesus. And we do this every week to remember who, what Christ did for us. So brothers and sisters, remember what he did for you on the cross taking care of our sin and now for the benediction before I give the benediction at branches um, 
we, we raise our hands for the benediction, but before we do, I just want to, if you're new, uh, we want we want to get to know you, and you can let us know right on our website, but we want to help you get in community and just being a part of what we have going on here, so please talk to one of us, or we'll have one of our elders here, or myself, or Steve, and uh, we can talk. Would you please raise your hands for the benediction? Now to Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King of kings and Lord of lords, may he be with you mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.